This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a uh, fantastic uh, show again today. And even though we're on the precipice of war between NATO, the United States, and uh, Russia, uh, there's other big important news that we're going to be following today. We're going to put Russia and the COVID-19 pandemic slightly to the side today. Still, uh, the big news, which we're going to begin our show with, is the complete failure of the international community and the international journalism community to take into account the Amnesty International report that just came out basically saying the state of Israel is an apartheid state. Um, There's a lot that has happened since that time. The New York Times continues to fail in its uh, capacity to to kind of discuss this, not a single major uh, broadcasting uh, mainstream media in the United States has covered it, but it's generating a lot of uh, buzz. We're going to talk about that. Then after that, we're going to be speaking with professors Rabab Abdelhadi and Larry Hanley talking about the status of the attacks on the Ahmed program at San Francisco State. So it's a lot. It's a lot going on and. Uh, Let's jump right into it with the amnesty report, Jamal. I mean, we we spoke about it a little bit last week. I read the report. It's even more uh, damning than I than I even imagined. I just read the summary last week, and in the week uh, since, I've had a chance to actually read the entire report. It's more damning than the Human Rights Watch report. It's more damning than Betselem. It basically lays out in two hundred plus pages a concise, elaborate, legal, uh, detailed account of the is the apartheid practices that the state of Israel is engaged with right now, not just with Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, but Palestinians in 1948. It is a tremendous tour de force, Jamal. It really is a tremendous piece, and it's still not being picked up. Well, it is 280 page long. It's a 280 page case that Israel's treatment of Palestinians constitutes apartheid. This is the conclusion. It also follows, you said, you know, the other reports, but it also builds on on the previous reports by Human Rights Watch, by Beth Salem and other human rights organizations. And you're absolutely correct. It's either been utter silence by some media outlets or actually going on that tack, like the Wall Street Journal had actually right. an editorial criticizing it, or a wave of orchestrated, I would say, attacks and outrage that that basically denies many key points in the report. Like they pretend that those those points don't exist, and they deny prominent Israelis, this is very important. This is what yes. actually I want yes. to focus on because I've been looking at the Israeli media and what has been said before, etc. that many prominent Israelis say that that it is true. And 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 so so they don't count on this. And just to give you an idea, just, of course, immediately after the report was released, a joint statement by American groups that claim to be pro-Israel, including the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, ADL, and others demonizing. And I would say uh, this is just 
summarizing from APEX, it says, accused Amnesty of seeking to demonize and delegitimize the Jewish and democratic state of Israel. As you know, a formulation uh, frequently used to imply anti-Semitism, and others went directly right. to the anti-Semitism right. accusation. They just like lobbying these crazy charges, you know. Well, that's what the ADL did. That's that's the classic ADL, which we'll get to, you know, but basically equating we should treat people who say these things about Israel the same way we treat ISIS terrorists. I mean, unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable yeah. Hasbara. And wanted and wanted and wanted people who use the apartheid word, uh, word to be fired from their jobs, especially if they had government jobs. What I liked about this report, Jess, kind of the difference between it and previous reports, it basically drew parallels. Yes, between apartheid Israel and apartheid South Africa. Just gave That's like right. these examples. This is what happened during apartheid in South Africa. This is what's happening now in Israel. And if you look at the report itself, you know, the final conclusion, it says Israel basically uh, commits crimes against humanity under international laws, including the 1973 Apartheid Convention and the 1998 Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, which defines apartheid as systematic racial domination. They're not pulling straws out of their no, hat or whatever. No. I mean, it's very methodical. It's very well researched, years of research, and also drawing on parallels with South Africa and 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 the report no, it was a very compelling report, Jamal. But here is the, sta the sad stat state of affairs, which you are not a stranger to in this country. I mean, here it is. Now, since Biden took office, what did we have in this country? Bipartisan? N nope. Nope. Bipartisan politics, right, on everything. So now comes this report. All of a sudden, we have bipartisan We have a love fest between, between Republic. This is we've talked about this, Jamal. This is a love fest between Republicans I mean, and and Democrats. It's the, the only Democrats area. and exactly the Democrats and Republicans don't see eye to eye when it comes to COVID. To when anything. it comes to the American health, the American, the U.S. economy, unemployment. You name it. All of a sudden now they're piling these accusations together, kind of like they're competing against each other. You know, who's going to condemn amnesty more? I mean, look at them. I mean, Republican Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, you know, uh, I'm just quoting from him, denouncing the human rights group for attacking a free democracy where Jews, Christians and Muslims live in peace. What <laughs> a, I don't want to say the word, I mean... WTF. Does he know what's go what goes on on the WTF. ground when he when he makes such a statement? When we have just a few months ago, you know, people marching in Jerusalem and saying death to Arabs when they're desecrating, uh, you know, the uh, the, the Al Aqsa Mosque when they're attacking uh, Christian priests going to the to the sepulcher and said, oh, everybody lives in harmonious peace and love and. I mean, you know, things like this. So, uh, and by the way, of course, the Wall Street Journal mentioned that, and he and they call, and this is in their own editorial. 
they called, called the report liable against Israel and claimed that amnesty is in the company. And that's going back to your point of Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran, because the human rights group all but says uh, that the Jewish state shouldn't exist. They make up stuff as they go along. Well, that that's kind of the point, Jamal, is that, uh, you know, the so-called mainstream media of objective reporters, and again, you know, the, the paper of record, the New York Times, failed to, uh, to report on this at all. The Washington report, ha- Washington Post had a few paragraphs. You saw nothing in, in broadcast media in terms of either mainstream uh, television, uh, streaming video, uh, radio, nothing about this. You, it was, and even uh, and along the lines of some so-called progressive media outlets like MSNBC, gave this really short shrift. There's been a complicity of silence, Jamal. And there's more oxygen given to what Whoopi Goldberg said than what is happening to this report from Amnesty International, which, as you said, they spent three years researching this, Jamal. This is not just uh, free associating, you know, over... More like five years, actually. Yeah, yeah. They researched this, and they're not going to publish anything without carefully dotting the I's and crossing the T's. It is a tour de force of, um, of of a kind of magnitude and precision and methodicalness that you will not find anywhere else, and complete silence. And I just want to say that the apologists for the apartheid state have brought together, as you said, Republicans and Democrats. It's brought together the the ADL with, uh, you know, APAC. I mean, the ADL statement from its director was just jaw-dropping in terms of saying, you know, basically, uh, we, we need to prosecute uh, terrorists, uh, anyone who criticizes Israel along the lines of claiming it to be an apartheid state should be prosecuted like we prosecute ISIS. It's just like there. But what this tells me, Jamal, is that this really, really struck a nerve with the uh, Israeli establishment. This Amnesty International report struck a nerve. They realize that they're losing. They realize that the world opinion about the apartheid state is turning. I mean, each year of this marathon race, Jamal, they're losing the race. They're losing the marathon. What they're trying to do is put out this, these little, uh, you know, uh, little fires when the entire country is on fire. I mean, the entire world sees this as a problem, Jamal. But I, I'm afraid that the so-called uh, American mainstream media has has failed again. It's it's just appalling to see the coverage on this, Jamal. Well, I mean, the irony of it all, I go back to the politicians in this country who are acting right. more Israeli than Israelis themselves. And I have the points to back it up. Uh, Jess, <laughs> and so 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 bear, bear with me. Sure. And these go. are these are statements by prominent Israelis, and many of them are prominent Israeli politicians. Starting with Yossi Sarid, if you remember oh, yeah. him, is right. the former Israeli cabinet minister and and the ex leader of the opposition and member of the Knesset for thirty two years. And he said this. This is not yesterday. He said this in two thousand eight. 
What acts like apartheid is run like apartheid and harasses like apartheid is not a duck. It is apartheid. <laughs> this is his statement. <laughs> uh, uh, Ehud, uh, uh, Barak, and Ehud all murdered. Of course, they made similar statements. Israel's former Attorney General Michael Ben-Yair was even uh, clearer, and this is what he said. We established an apartheid regime in the occupied territories immediately following their capture. That oppressive regime exists to this day. He said that when? 2002. Ami Ayalon, former head of the Israel's Shin Bet Intelligence That's Service. That's right. I, I remember that. Uh, said the country has apartheid characteristics. Shlomit Aloni the second woman to serve as an Israeli cabinet minister after Golda Meir, and Alon Liel, Israel's former ambassador to South Africa, both told, said that the country practices a form of apartheid. Israel's leading human rights organization, keeps talking about B'Tselem, published its groundbreaking report. This was last year, described the regime of, of Jewish supremacy. That's what they said over Palestinians that amounted to, to apartheid. Another Israeli human rights uh, organization, Yashdin, also gave a legal opinion that the crime against humanity of apartheid is being committed in the West Bank. The list goes on, uh, Jess. Uh, the cancer today is apartheid in the West Bank. This is by A.B. Yeshua, one of Israel's greatest living, uh, basically, writers, uh, said that in 2020. This apartheid is digging more and more deeply into Israeli society and impacting Israel's humanity. I can go on and on. I yes. can go on and on. But somehow, APAC, which should know everything that happens on the ground right here in the United States and in Israel, for didn't mention anything about that. Same thing. Same thing with ADL. And 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 lastly, just what I have to say, and we've talked about this before, this is a, a survey of Jewish voters in the United States last right. year. We talked about right. it. That's found right. that 25% of American Jews in this country agreed that Israel is an apartheid state. Well, Jamal, I, I think that uh, they're, losing the, they're losing the war and the battle, the, the Hasbaristas you know, can put out all the statements they want. But I think, you know, and I said this before, the strength of the Wall Street Journal response, the strength of the ADL, the strength of the APAC response, the coming together, the love fest between Republicans and Democrats speaks to the anxiety and fear. And I will say loathing that the apartheid state of Israel feels now with the international human rights community basically condemning it. And I just want to say, you know, a lot of those quotes you said had this kind of phraseology to it, acting like an apartheid state. Let, let's be really clear what, uh, what, uh, what Amnesty and Human Rights Watch and everybody is saying. That Israel is an apartheid state. It is. Well, these a, go back to the state. 90s and, and 2000s, and, and these ideas have uh, developed. Right. I mean, before but, people were like hesitant in Israel to, to say, say the well, word. Maybe we are like, but now it's very clear. It's yeah. Very there's clear. no I, I, there's no beating around the bush. They're not acting like they are. The is the the Israelis 
are living in an apartheid state. That is an apartheid state. We need to say it loudly. We need to say it clearly. We need to say it unequivocally. And now that we have this report from Amnesty, there needs to be increased pressure put on the Israelis uh, to come clean. Now, we're gonna, we should talk about the Congress and the ADL and APAC and what they're doing. They want to continue to criminalize the, any attempt by people confronting the apartheid state through the BDS movement to be criminalized. They don't want to criminalize the criminal, Jamal. They don't want to criminalize the criminal apartheid state. What they want to do is criminalize people who take a nonviolent approach to confronting apartheid. So the most successful and uh, compelling way to confront an apartheid state, just like in South Africa, is the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, which is the nonviolent movement that is being called forth by Palestinian civil society to confront apartheid. Now, of course, what the Congress is going to do and try to do and what the Hasbaristas are going to try to do, they're going to yet make another attempt to criminalize anybody or any group or any organization or any company that practices or engages in boycott. So, Well, I mean, ADL, pretty much uh, its leader is saying, uh, asking the U.S. government to fire anyone who mentions... That's right. Israel as an apartheid state. That's right. I mean, they're going against the grain. Forget forget ab- about the validity, whether Israel is an apartheid state. This has been established. But I'm saying they're going against the First Amendment of public officials and the First Amendment of Congress people like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and others who pretty much criticize Israel, that if you criticize Israel, if you mention the A word, you lose your job. But you can criti- you can call Joe Biden all sorts of things. You can criticize the Biden administration. You can criticize any politician you want from here to, you know, anywhere. But, oh, we cannot accept criticism of an apartheid state. I really think, and I keep saying this, this speaks to how anxious and uh, nervous that the uh, the apartheid Israeli elite are about this. This is not that different with what happened in apartheid South Africa, Jamal. Toward the end of that marathon race, they were getting very nervous, extremely nervous. And remember, it really wasn't until Ro- Ronald Reagan was the last domino in that uh, in that. Uh, uh, that fell, that really kind of tipped it over, was that big tipping point. The the, the U.S. wouldn't grant uh, Mandela a visa to come and address the United Nations. Exactly, Jamal. So um, we're we're witnessing a historical moment with with this Amnesty International report that is really groundbreaking and is going to set the stage internationally for confronting the apartheid state at the ICC, at the United Nations. Internationally, this is going to bring with it lots of additional legal and political pressure on the apartheid state because we can now say, as they did with South Africa, why are you doing business with an apartheid state? Why are we engaged? Why are we giving an apartheid state $3.5 billion unrestricted 
you know, funding every year and $10 billion and loan guarantees and sending them all these weapons that are killing Palestinian civilians or supporting a country that develops Pegasus and is spying on, you know, U.S. <laughs> diplomats and causing people's death. So my question is, I mean, the world is waking up, Jamal, but when are the Democrats, the Republicans, and the New York Times going to wake up to this? You know, what, what kind of country do we live in that we are so afraid to speak about the reality of apartheid and apartheid Israel? Well, I've given this a lot of thought, Jess, and I was like thinking, when are we going to see, and probably you can answer this question better than me, when are we going to see that tipping point that tipping point that shifted the sentiment of Americans when yeah. it came to South Africa. I mean, we I know, know that, about I know that Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood got involved, right. you know, and, and, and we have some of that, but very, very few. When are we going to see that tipping point? The, the only thing the, I was thinking about, just yeah. which is the politics of fear. Yeah. which did not exist, even though yeah. South Africa did the same thing, tried to vilify activists, uh, anti-apartheid activists, accusing them of being terrorists or belong to radical groups, etc., etc. That didn't stick. The difference here, uh, Jess, and we have to be very clear about that, people who are uh, critics of, of Israeli policies and apartheid practices have been labeled as anti-Semites. You, uh, there is a weaponization. This is this is not my words. This is even coming from Israelis themselves. Right. The, the weaponization of anti-Semitism. So if I want to silence you, I would just accuse you to be an anti-Semite just because you criticized Israel or criticized Zionism or you criticized uh, apartheid itself. That weapon did not exist to counter the Africana, you right. know, regime. No, when it that's came to right, South Africa. No, that's a very good point. But if you're asking where the tipping point is, I think it's what what there were multiple tipping points in apartheid South Africa, Jamal, but one of them was when the wealthy Afrikaners started to realize that they were being hurt economically, that's when they started to you know turn things around and confront the ugly reality of their apartheid practices. Once the full impact of global boycott and divestment on the apartheid regime starts to hurt the elite, the wealthy elite of the apartheid regime in Israel, that's when they're going to begin to take a, a tougher look at this. And, uh, you know, because I think the politics are on its, are, are at, we're, 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 we're not in the ninth inning. Because we still have Republicans and Democrats in this country in their love fest, but uh, we're we're probably in the fifth or sixth inning in terms of confronting this, you know, in terms of American politics. Because you know, from a grassroots uh, effort, you know, the bulk of uh, of Americans actually do believe, and this younger generation do believe that the Israeli uh, practice of apartheid and oppression and occupation of Palestine is, and, and the majority of young American Jews believe it, uh, is really damaging. So you have a generational thing which is contributing to the tipping point, and I also think the, the biggest one is going to be this economics. You know, whether or not the economy of an apartheid state takes a hit from these reports, that's, that's going to uh, facilitate 
this uh, tipping point? Uh, I see a difference here, and the difference is Israel really gives a hoot about one country, which is the United States, while apartheid South Africa had more of a global economy, especially with uh, gold right. and diamond and, and, and this. And as long as the United States you know, keep giving Israel billions of dollars, uh, you know, every every single year. And you have a Congress that wants to basically elevate, uh, you know, the status of Israel. And and not only this, uh, now they are uh, lobbying uh, for getting a uh, preferred status in traveling to the United States, like right. European countries. Oh, and by the way, I forgot, we forgot to mention that uh, Biden tweeted he had a conversation with uh, Israel's prime minister and they've talked about uh, Iran and they've talked about global issues in the Middle East, but not a single word about the report or apartheid. Well, because by the way, Jamal, the United States did relax some of the uh, economic pressures on Iran as part of the negotiation with the Iran nuclear deal. So there is... There is movement in the Iran nuclear deal. So I think, you know, if you want to take a global perspective on this, uh, there's a lot of changes under the Biden administration that are making them very nervous, as they should be. And I think you're right. They're really looking to the United States as their their main cash cow in all of this. But, you know, their economy is also pretty global. I mean, we found and we saw how the... Uh, economy for the apartheid state really had difficulties during the COVID-19 pandemic. It it just did because travel stopped and there was, you know, all the tourist dollars were really cut pretty dramatically. So, you know, I'm, I don't want, I'm cautious, as we know the saying, Jamal, cautiously optimistic. This is that marathon race. We're going to get to that tipping point. And this report from Amnesty International is among the most important things that has happened in this marathon towards justice and accountability for the occupation of Palestine. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. And now just to our next segment. Uh, yeah. A topic we've discussed, I don't know how many times, I've lost count <laughs> on this show, the relentless attacks on um, Ahmed program yeah, at yeah. San, Francisco, San Francisco State University and the collusion of of the SFSU's administration to allow these attacks to continue. Uh, we're going to post, actually, a, a this is a, a special for this show, a cartoon by the talented Brazilian uh, cartoonist Carlos Latouf. He made a cartoon out of uh, SFSU's behavior, which he compared compared it to Israel, Israel's uh, behavior or Israel's treatment of, of Palestinians uh, when it comes to Ahmed. So, uh, as you know, we've had uh, our two guests on the show, um, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, director of Ahmed, and uh, Dr. Larry Hanley, who's professor uh, of English and member of the executive board of San Francisco State University's California Faculty Association. And and he was also, uh, he's a former uh, SFSU's academic faculty senate. Uh, right. So apparently last week there was a hearing so, uh, to discuss uh, uh, Dr. Abdelhadi's grievance. Uh, let's uh, listen and watch uh, this interview. Since its inception in 2007, the Arab and Muslim ethnicities 
and Diaspora Studies AHMED program remains anemic and under-resourced while enduring ongoing attacks against its director, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, and her students at San Francisco State University, several of whom have experienced death threats. Instead of supporting Ahmed, SFSU's administration has remained silent or sided with supporters of apartheid Israel and Silicon Valley giant corporations seeking to suppress academic freedom. To add salt to injury, last November, San Francisco State University's President Lynn Mahoney disregarded the legitimate reprimand of a faculty panel that recommended redress to Dr. Rabab Abdulhadi and her colleague, Professor Tomomi Kinukawa, for the university's failure regarding violations of academic freedom. Joining us to discuss this and more, Dr. Rabab Abdulhadi, Director of Ahmed, and Dr. Larry Hanley, Professor of English, member of Executive Board of San Francisco State University, California, Faculty Association and former San Francisco State University Academic Faculty Senate. Welcome both to Arab Talk. Thank you for having us, Jamal. Thank you, Jamal. Let me start with you, Professor Hanley. You represented Dr. Uh, Abdelhadi last week at her statutory grievance hearing against SFSU administration. Uh, please summarize to us your key arguments laying out the case for Dr. Abdelhadi's uh, grievance. Jamal, the basis of the grievance was breach of contract. That is when Professor Abdul Hadi was uh, recruited to San Francisco State University from the University of Michigan. She was recruited to start a program in Arab and Islamic studies. And uh, she signed a memorandum of understanding with the Dean of the College of Ethnic Studies and with the university. And amongst the items enumerated in this MOU were two tenure track lines in Ahmed, what would become Ahmed. Um, the university has failed to supply these lines for almost uh, 15 years, um, despite constant, uh, you know, requests, despite constant um, asks, etc. over the course of those 15 years from both uh, Professor Abdul Hadi, Ahmed students, and other folks. Uh, the university has repeatedly, through two presidents and two provosts, uh, both promised these tenure, tenure track lines and at the same time deferred and fogged them over. Um, and in the hearing, I think the term that I used that maybe best describes this is gaslighting that for almost a decade, the university has been gaslighting students and faculty, Professor Abdul Hadi and others in Ahmed about the tenure, tenure track lines. Our argument simply was that the university has a duty to fulfill the terms of its contract, uh, the terms that brought Professor Abdul Hadi to campus, um, and that in the absence of fulfilling those terms, Professor Abdul Hadi has been placed in an untenable um, structural position within the university, um, dominated by and defined by conflict. You know, if you're the person who constantly has to say, where am I, where are my faculty lines? Why am I not getting what you promised me to get? That quickly develops into conflict between faculty, the faculty member, the dean or supervisor, the faculty member, the provost, etc. 
And this has just been exacerbated uh, over the course of a decade. And in, in addition, part, the second part of our argument was that external attacks on Professor Abdul Hadi, for instance, the AMHA uh, letters requesting travel audits or claiming misuse of state funds, etc., all of which were rebutted, um, increased or played some role in the university administration's reluctance uh, to fulfill its obligations and really um, encourage the university to withdraw its support uh, from the Ahmed program and from Professor Abdul Hadi. So in a nutshell, that was those were our arguments at the statutory grievance hearing. And what were uh, their basically counter arguments, uh, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi? I mean, why are they so insisting on really? I mean, when you look at it, it's like whitewashing an apartheid state when now four plus credible human rights organizations have certified Israel as an apartheid state, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and Israel's own human rights organization, B'Tselem and Yeshdin. Yes, and actually to add, thank you, Jamal. To add to that also, the, the United Nations Human Rights Council, United Nations General Assembly, there have been multiple, multiple, multiple tens of uh, at least resolutions that have been placed, as well as the international community standing up and talking about it. And last week, it was Amnesty International that came out and actually defined Israel as an apartheid state that must be held up to the same standards of accountability in the international community as other states who commit crimes against humanity. Apartheid is a crime against humanity. Uh, the problem with San Francisco State, as we have discussed all along, are, I would say, maybe three issues, in addition to what my colleague, uh, Professor Larry Henley, mentioned. One is that the, the collusion, the complicity, is San Francisco State administration has with the Zionist groups. San Francisco State actually, in uh, September, October, uh, revealed a public commitment and collaboration between the Office of Fundraising Advancement of San Francisco State, i.e. like the whole question of fundraising, and the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, which is supposed to be really about inclusion, but it's anything but, uh, with the three Zionist organizations that has been historically attacking us, Hillel, Hillel International, and the Academic Engagement Network that you, uh, Jamal, are probably familiar with because we had uh, discussions on your show about that. This is one of the groups that has been set up by Mark Yu, the former chancellor of Youth University of California, is now directed by a woman named Miriam Elman at Cornell University. They have had actually targeted faculty and students. They've targeted Columbia University. They've actually targeted and threatened the Association of American University professors for making giving me an award and threatened them as well. SFSU has formally pronounced an agreement with these groups. And so there is the pressure from the Zionists. And what, as what my, my colleague said, is that there have been so many attacks, posters by Horowitz, death threats, attacks against us, smearing, accusations that every single one of them false is uh, proved to be wrong, as well as the lawsuit that we defeated. We defeated squarely by the Lawfare Project, the legal arm of the Israeli uh, lobby in 2018, but nonetheless, they continue. The second aspect of it is San Francisco said, you said, what do they say? And this is why we're arguing what the case is. San Francisco State argues, uh, according to the to, to what I have been calling about recently, anything but random. 
I say it's anything but random, but they claim it's just random. They're just doing business decisions. They just don't have the money. And they've even went to the uh, one of the, 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 the their witnesses, which I would say that they actually violated because they were supposed to come up with witnesses and exhibits on January 21st as per our agreement. We fulfilled our agreement. They did not bother, but 24 hours before, they produced three witnesses. One of them actually had the audacity to call the former dean of the College of Ethnic Studies, Professor Kim Montero, rogue dean, that he reached an wow. agreement with me, yes, reached an agreement with me outside of the provost and the president, even though all the communication and all the signing, and as you remember, San Francisco State brought me for a second interview. The campus interview was not sufficient. They brought me for a second interview to meet with President Corrigan and Provost Jumelo, and also Ken Montero himself said that there is no way we can actually give the money. The College of Ethics Studies doesn't have the money to give like $100,000 per year for three years to support Ahmed Studies program for the first three years. The College of Ethics Studies cannot authorize faculty lines unless the university provost and the president. And also, if you remember, before the cancellation of the faculty lines in 2009, before President Corrigan, uh, was pressured by the Zionist groups because the Palestinian students brought Omar Barghouti, one founder of BDS movement, to speak at the mural anniversary, the Palestinian mural anniversary in November in 2009. Uh, the Zionists pressured him, so he went and canceled the searches. The searches were already approved and vetted throughout various levels of the university, HR, the college, the provost, the university was part of the budget that was approved on July 1st, 2009, which means it was also the whole thing that San Francisco State says that we don't have any money and we had a budget crisis. Actually, they had already taken care of the budget crisis by the time they approved the budget for the faculty search. Now, every single search has been reinstated except for ours. And you know, we have been as a community, as students, as faculty going again and again and demanding that we would have the faculty lines because you cannot have a program you cannot have a program with one person without budget, without administrative support, without faculty. You know that I've also recruited community uh, uh, skilled uh, scholars and lecturers such as yourselves and others to come and teach. Students have been really engaged to, to meet with people who are such luminaries in the community. San Francisco State also canceled the courses, like our story for the last at least three years that our courses continue to be canceled, continue to be changed. My courses continue to be changed and so on. There is no other explanation. They tried to come up with all sorts of explanations, but actually none of the explanations were, were, were convincing. And maybe my colleague, uh, Professor Henley, can speak more to that, but it was very clear that they were trying to scramble for all sorts of excuses in order to justify wrongdoing that is very clear, just like Israel being an apartheid. This is so clear that something is wrong. And you cannot cover it. You cannot sugarcoat it, but they were trying to do so. Dr. Hanley, I mean, you were there, you, you listened to their counter-argument. Did they convince you with anything in their argument? As someone who's been in academia for so many years and you, you're familiar how universities, I, I mean, we understand every, every institution has its own budget, budget questions, etc. But this has been going on too long to come up with the same excuses. We don't have the money. Well... Jamal, they convinced me that they they don't really have a case, uh, to be honest with you, because it was an extremely incoherent response uh, to our grievance. Um, you know, on the one hand, they wanted to argue that Professor Abdul Hadi should have filed her grievance 10 years ago, um, even though the university, you know, when she knew she wasn't going to get the lines, even though the university kept promising over and over and over again 
and committing itself, you know, that she would get the lines. They also, I was shocked at some of the tactics that the university used, including labeling a former dean who, who I knew quite well and respected and uh, uh, believed was a pretty good dean, a rogue dean. Um, and this is by somebody who made this accusation who's been at the university for two years, who was not even around when this dean, you know, was the dean of the College of Ethnic Studies. Who, who, made, who made the accusations? It was the okay. AVP of Faculty Affairs. Mm. Um, they own, the argument they mainly, I, I, I couldn't really tell you what they're, at one point they tried to uh, uh, defend themselves by actually attacking Professor Abdul Hadi personally. Uh, and I thought this was outrageous. Um, and um, um, incredible, really. I've never seen anything like this. So uncollegial. Um, so uncaring, so unprofessional, really. Um, so we had to stop that rather swiftly, which I think we did. But I think the only other argument that was coherent in any way was the idea that, well, we can't supply these lines because the Ahmed courses are under-enrolled. And there's lots of ways of understanding what that means rationally and objectively under what a course means to be under-enrolled, um, etc., but, you know, the analogy I, I wanted to use, I didn't get a chance to use it in the hearing was, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're starving a pony and then complaining that it doesn't run fast enough, right? In other words, you starve the program of resources, including the basic resources necessary, you know, for any program. And then you turn around and say, hey, you're underperforming. You're not doing what you should be doing. Um, and so to me... You know, uh, that was the only kind of argument that no, they even no. tried to build in any coherent way. No, no. And it, I no. thought it was ineffective. Well, I mean, part of this program, actually, we're going to be talking about what's, happen what, what's happening with the Amnesty International report and what's going on afterwards. Like, for example, I've been seeing uh, a lot of resistance to it, especially by ADL. Uh, you know, right here in, in, the, in the United States. And this reminds me really of this insistence of denial, denial that uh, the program has been uh, starved uh, or being anemic from the beginning and the denial of, uh, in, in, in that the university has acted improperly trying in, in protecting academic freedom and so forth. But there is a reason that they, they, they are just going in my opinion, berserk in making sure that Dr. Abab Abdel Hadi does will not succeed. The same way that they want to make sure that the label of apartheid won't stick, you know, to Israel, even though everybody has been certifying this. Do you see a parallel to this, uh, Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi? Yes, uh, I do definitely. I mean, the whole question, even of the of the argument that the under enrollment of classes, actually, that's not. 100% uh, true and accurate because they, the, it's very interesting because they took some of my classes and they put some of the classes that were before we had the minor and so on. They didn't put all Ahmed classes. They didn't show how they've canceled classes, how would they switch classes at the last minute, how they, I have been smeared again and again, how they refused accommodation when we had 
um, death threats, for example, like if you remember 2019, I received the death threat letter actually just as President Mahoney became her presidency at San Francisco State. And I asked, I had been asking for accommodation online, both for my disability and also for safety. I was refused, so I ended up teaching my classes on Zoom in order to protect my students and my myself. And I was reprimanded by the university for that. So that is, and then students are also very afraid. None of them will come to Ahmed office. None of them will even go. You know, there were problems with the Muslim Women's Student Association with a naked man standing on their prayer rug. Students are feeling very embattled. Arab, Muslim, and Palestinian students are feeling very embattled, are feeling very targeted. I am definitely not, don't feel safe at all on campus. Even though we continue braving, and every semester I continue submitting a list of courses, I recruit the excellent community expert who can teach and so on. And they're always fine. In, in, inevitably, they find one reason or another to cancel courses. Sometimes at the last minute, sometimes they, 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 they get rid of the community lecturer and they assign me, despite my own preference, even though faculty are asked, what would you like to teach? And so we say what we would like to teach. With me, it's not taken for granted. The minute I say, this is what I'd like to teach, it means this is what I will be teaching. It is never a sure thing. At the end of the, at the, end of the, the, the fall, before the semester begins, classes get switched. Classes get canceled. Uh, the, everything goes, uh, and I'm, I'm forced to teach courses that I actually think is not really the right time to teach them. There are certain times we have something called roadmap that we presented to the faculty senate when we submitted the Ahmed Studies program that said we will offer this course this semester, we will offer this course this semester. There hasn't one single semester where I did not have three courses. This each semester I have to have three courses that are different from the semester before, because if I don't teach the courses, there is no Ahmed program. Students can actually take the course. If I try to recruit faculty lectures in the faculty lines we had, which were part of the budget and so on, the people are let go, and at the end of this, the, 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 before the, the term begins, they change them. So constantly, last summer, I asked to teach two courses. They said, oh, it's not enrollment. I said, but the last three years in a row that I taught summer school, enrollment has been really perfect. No reason. They just canceled them. Last fall, they canceled the course on civil liberties of Arabs and Muslims post 9-11-2001, which was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which was something that students would want to learn about. No reason. At the last minute, at the last minute, the two courses were canceled. And so you, Jamal, as somebody who's part of the community, as a trustee of the Arab Cultural Community Center, your program and so on, you're very aware because we have been going to the various presidents asking them to build the Ahmed Studies program, asking them to actually fulfill their commitment. And they keep, there's two things. They say, oh, we're going to fulfill our commitment. So this whole thing about the contract, there is the statute of expiration of limitation. It doesn't really apply. And secondly, then they say, but we are, we don't have the money to do it. But then the program is not succeeding. And actually, the program is very successful and attracts excellent students and graduates excellent students. So all of these things, they starve us, they attack us, is exactly what Israel does. Denies Palestinians, Sheikh Jarrah, for example, permits to build. And then when Palestinians go build their permits in order to be able to live with their families, they go and destroy the houses. They say, well, you didn't have the permit. But I stand I stood in line to ask for a permit, but you didn't give me a permit. So it's a vicious catch-22 circle. And moving the goalposts, as one of my colleagues keeps saying, they keep moving the goalposts. And they're trying to apply something called death by 10,000 cuts against us. Well, Dr. Hanley, I mean, you've, you've been on the Senate, right, uh, uh, as part of the Academic Faculty Senate. I mean, how common is it to see the president of the university go against its own, her own faculty or his own faculty uh, during the years as what happened with uh, 
the current president, uh, President Mahoney, to, to just like say, well, listen to all the arguments that supported Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi, and then say, well, no, I'm not going to accept that. Uh, Jamal, I was Senate chair for two terms, and I was on the academic. I've been on the academic senate, you know, maybe a total of eight years or, or whatnot. Um, I was surprised by that. I think what that reflects is, to be honest with you, and I think we saw this in the statutory hearing, is a kind of uh, contempt that the administration has for shared governance, um, for academic freedom, um, and, f you know, I would say for faculty power or authority. Um, and what we've seen at San Francisco State over the past three or four years at least, maybe more, uh, is an administration that does not act in good faith uh, in its treatment of faculty um, and programs, etc. So on the one hand, I was kind of surprised by uh, the overturning of the faculty panel decision. On the other hand, I really wasn't that surprised. And I think part of what we saw in this hearing was a very lackadaisical approach to the hearing on the part of uh, SF State Management. Professor Abdul Hadi already referred to the deadlines that we met and that the university just seemed to ignore in terms of filing evidence, et cetera. Um, and I think part of that lackadaisical quality is that maybe the people involved believe that who cares what happens in the statutory grievance hearing, the president will overturn it, right? So why put any work into um, the hearing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very cynical, uh, I think a very cynical attitude uh, towards the university and faculty. I mean, uh, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, we've had this discussion several times right on this show here. And every step of the way, we we, we thought that, that, you know, maybe there's an end, maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I always ask you the question, What's next? What do you what do you expect to happen after 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 this? I mean, I know you have your grievance and you won a battle against uh, the lawfare project and so forth. But what's going to happen in your opinion? Well, I guess there is a couple of things. One is we don't have any choice but continue struggling because this is just. And I believe the problem actually what what also the grievance last uh, Friday showed is that uh, the university administration actually has very similar excuses to the Zionists in order to shut down this program. The Zionists are invested, the pro-Israel lobby is invested in not allowing us to teach these topics, Islamophobia, Palestine, Arab and Arab American feminism, civil liberties of Arabs and Muslims, etc. So they don't want people to be taught as part of the legitimate curriculum, part of the production of knowledge, because if people know more, they probably will end up sympathizing and saying this is Islamophobia is really bad, anti-Palestinian discrimination is bad, anti-Arab racism is bad, and so on. So the, the Zionists are very invested in that, as we see in the battle against the California ethnic studies model curriculum. This has been the Zionist groups, AMCHA, uh, Anti-Defamation League, stand with us, all the same groups that have been uh, Christian coalition, a Christian united uh, for Israel, and so on. They have been the same ones who have been attacking us. It is what's really... Um, it's not shocking, but it's hugely disappointing is that the university administrators and administrators who claim to stand for justice, to stand for justice knowledge production, to stand for innovative and critical understanding, for critical ethnic studies and so on, are also the same ones that are, are trying to run this program to the ground, to dismantle the program and destroy it. 
the good news, Jamal, is that we actually have a huge coalition. I mean, the world is on the side of us. I'm talking about on the side of justice in for Palestine and on the side of teaching about justice in for Palestine and its related issues. We have the faculty union. We have the faculty union from which Professor Henley comes in, the executive board of the union, who passed a very strong resolution uh, last week. We have our colleagues in the Senate. We have multiple people who came to, uh, including Senator, for example, Mark Stein came and testified. We have students who are really fighting for the seminars, like graduate students, former students. We have people in the community who are fighting them day in and day out. So uh, the thing is, it's just, it's something that can we, can we give up? Of course we can, but should we give up? Of course not. And uh, the thing is, justice is on our side. We will, the next thing is that if the president vetoes it, that we have the arbitration and that that resolution is final. And we believe just like some of my colleagues whose uh, memorandum of understanding also was violated and they also suffered breach of contract. Their contracts were restored. Uh, we, you know, my contract hopefully will be restored. But in the meantime, also, we really need a lot of support because it's really, really impossible humanly to continue accepting this cost and the toll that this is taking on us because this is how you try to actually destroy a program. You destroy it, take it out, uh, faculty out of it, take out the resources and so on, keep one person and start harassing, retaliating and discriminating against them until they say, I've had it. I've had enough. I give up and I, I leave. And this is what they're really betting on. The thing is, is that we do have a very big uh, group of people who are fighting for this program. We have students who are interested and colleagues who are interested in, and we will continue fighting. We have no other choice but to struggle, not to be silent, not to let them silence, not to let them retaliate against us, and speak up loudly, and and speak up for Palestine, for academic freedom, for the right to discuss, for decolonizing knowledge, exactly like the students in 1968 did when they waged the longest uh, strike in 1968, which one of the leaders is the, 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 the former past chair of the KPOO, our late comrade Terry Collins. Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi and Dr. Larry Hanley, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank, thank you, you for having much. us. Well, be well. That's the voice and the faces of Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi and Dr. Larry Han uh, Hanley. Jamal, we, we've been covering this story for years and years and years, but the depths of depravity that San Francisco State's leadership, the president, whom you've met, um, and donors and uh, and their attacks on Professor Abdul Hadi, their attacks on Muslim students and Palestinian students, their attacks on the Ahmed program. It's not like they're lessening, Jamal. It, they're, they're actually increasing. I feel like the president of S SFSU, she's doubling down. She's she's. I mean, is she, is she tone deaf? I mean, here is here is the yeah, irony. Yeah. We keep talking about the irony of it all. This whole thing started, right. I mean, started before that, but that was with the visit of uh, the former mayor of occupied Jerusalem and who basically promotes apartheid. And this Celebrates started because, it, yeah. be, because because students demonstrated and 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 hissed and complained when he came to talk at San Francisco State University, and they lashed out against students of Ahmed and its director and so forth, and then it mushroomed into a bigger problem than we find out 
there are too many players who are trying to basically shut down this program. So fast forward to just this past week or the week or a month before or a few months before when more and more international human rights organizations are saying is an apartheid state. Hello. So my question is, why is this administration protecting an apartheid state? We know the answer, Jamal. We have deep uh, uh, pockets of support for San Francisco State who are apartheid apologists, who are influencing and uh, putting pressure on the president of San Francisco State to double down to try to close Ahmed and um, basically an attempt to ruin the career of Professor Abdul Hadi trying to smear her, creating these attacks that are that are vicious. And, you know, I think the way you put it is spot on. We does does San Francisco State want to celebrate the same practices that an apartheid state is is uh engaged in right now? So I mean actually actually when we talked about apartheid South Africa, I've mentioned Hollywood, but you know, academia was also played a major Absolutely, Jamal. In boycotting the boycotts against uh, apartheid South Africa, and so that that was part and of we're the, doing that now. the turning and we're doing, point. And and we're doing that now. But there's there are attacks against anyone who who is boycotting Israeli in, uh, Israeli apartheid institutions. We'll be covering this story. This is not going away, Jamal. This is not no, going not. away. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download our latest episodes, and we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.